0: Welcome to Lost in Science for another week, where we spend the next half an hour talking all about science. And this week, we have a very special show for you. Manisha is actually going to um, be on the show, and she will be talking about um, some research that's just come out on the oldest known evidence for Aboriginal settlement, which has um, in arid Australia, which has just been found. In the Flinders Ranges, under a rock shelter, and it's a pretty amazing story because two researchers just stumbled upon it while they were um, out looking for um, sites of importance. So
1: it's about forty nine thousand years old, or something like that, isn't
0: it? Oh, don't don't spoil it. I am just saying it's, like
1: it's really old. I guess like the oldest habitation in Australia.
0: Yes, in, in arid Australia. Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and what's really interesting is, is what they actually found in this rock shelter. Let me just say. Mega fauna. Anyway. Now
1: who's spoiling things?
0: Yeah, that was me. How about you, Chris? What do you have for us this week?
1: Well, we've talked a bit on this, this show about um, animal intelligence recently, the, the clever crows and ravens and things. Yep. Um, but what about insects?
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we just take them for granted that they're not very smart.
1: No, no. Uh, well, this week, we're going to look at a research that's shown bumblebees can not only learn, but they can teach. And we're going to find out what that says about insect culture.
0: And what that says about us. Well, this says about you.
1: Yes.
2: <laughs> uh, speaking of insect culture, Stu. Well, I I'm not sure why I'm anything related to insect culture, but You're I will You're a very, very be talking, social guy. Uh, you are a social guy. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. true. Yeah. Um, I will be talking about human culture and actually looking at the, is there any science behind the idea of willpower? and and whether or not we actually have control over our willpower or if that's just something that we like to think that we have control over.
0: Well, I hope that everybody has the willpower to continue listening because that is going to be pretty fascinating. On with the show.
3: Flinders Ranges, there's this amazing site called Warati, which is thought to be one of the oldest inhabited sites in Australia. So back in 2011, Giles Hamm, a researcher at La Trobe, um, was out in the Flinders Ranges with a local Aboriginal elder named Clifford Couthard. And um, the pair of them were just sort of surveying the gorge in that area, and they were about 550 kilometers from Adelaide. And well, Clifford Couthard had to do his business and so he walked into or walked along a creek bed um into the gorge and um he actually came across a spring that was surrounded by all of this rock art and so when he yeah i know and he looked up um from the creek bed about 20 meters and he noticed that there was this sort of rock shelter Mm. and so he actually ended up discovering this well future excavation site because he had to go to to the toilet yeah
2: so nobody nobody had seen this
3: no, so they were they were sort of serving the area, so this um, area is a the lands of the Anmetthena people, and so they had been serving this area for a while because they knew that the ancestors of um, the communities had been living on the lands for. Ages and ages, apparently forty-nine thousand years or more, and so um, together Giles Ham and Clifford Cuthard were working together to survey this area to find any sort of artifacts that they could, and he just happened to stumble upon this this one site.
2: It's a pretty uh, pretty impressive artifact. To it find is really in, cool, isn't it? Right? F- first go <laughs> exactly. Well,
3: I don't think it was a first go. I think they must have been surveying this area for ages and ages. But yeah. When they actually went up to the shelter, at first they didn't—they weren't quite sure if it was anything meaningful. But then they went into the shelter and they realized, or they saw that the roof was blocked, which is apparently um, a very key sign that the the spot was once um, a space for human activity. Oh, from soot. Yeah, basically must be. So at the time when they first found the site, they actually thought that it might just be maybe five or ten thousand years old to sort of coincide with other artifacts that they had found and other things that they had found in Flinders Ranges. But as they started excavating and researching more, they realized that the artifacts that they were finding, they were able to date it back all the way to 49,000 years ago, which is amazing. Yeah. So So
0: that's, what, like 30,000 more years than they thought it was? Than they expected, exactly,
3: yeah. So um, to date, this this site's actually the site of the oldest excavation inhabited um, site in Australia. So it's one of the first... Or, or the earliest um, inhabited spaces that we found inland Australia.
1: Because there's some older ones in the north, aren't there?
3: Yeah, and there's a lot along the coast that date back to f- about forty thousand years ago as well. Yeah. So there are other indications. It's just for this region. This is pro- and it's probably the oldest so far because this is forty nine thousand years ago that they're dating it back to, which is pretty wow. cool. So as I mentioned, um, it's on the ancestral lands of the anya Mathena, um community, and they still live on the land today. And um, this particular site was thought to be occupied up until about 10,000 years ago. So Giles and Clifford's uh, team, they undertook the, their first set of excavations between 2011 and 2014, and they found... 4,300, so 4,300 artifacts and 200 bone fragments, which is pretty cool. So they, they had a lot of indication of basically since the, the, rock, uh, the rock shelter was on up from the, the creek bed, they had more indication that there was a bit of hunting or gathering and then recollecting at, the, at this shelter and sharing and perhaps may, if, they were, if it was about food and things like that, they were bringing it back and having it all together in that area. The site shows the earliest evidence of bone and stone axe technology. So among the um, artifacts... Wow. Yeah. So among the artifacts, they found things like a wallaby shin bone, a rock wallaby shin bone that may have been used as a needle, like a stitching needle. Mm. Yeah. So they have all of these different artifacts that um, previously hadn't been dated back to that far. They also found signs of the use of ochre, which is this earth pigment and it can range in color from yellow to a brownie red, like a copper. And it's um, thought to be used in ceremony. And it's still um, used in ceremony by the um, Anya Anya Messena people and the community there. Um, and the last really cool bit is that they found um, evidence of human interaction with megafauna. So um, like the dry, dip. Sorry, Diprotodon, which is basically this the giant wombat. Yeah, a big wombat, and also a large flightless bird, and both of these species are now extinct. Mm -hmm. So there was that first sort of, um, it's so they
2: know that they they were there at the same time.
3: Yeah, and so they have eating like Diprotodon drumsticks, probably yeah, or something, or like steaks or. ribs (laughs) ribs <laughs> or whatever, uh, whatever. Yeah, and they had, like, the shells of the flightless bird and things like that, so probably had yeah, wow. eggs and steak for <laughs> brekkie or something. Sounds nice, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Warati is believed to be the oldest occupied site in inland Australia, and I mentioned that um, we have other sites ar- um, along the coast, or there are other sites along the coast that have been thought to, be set- um, to have been settled more than 40,000 years ago as well. Yeah. So the researchers are actually hoping that if they get more information or if they can find more evidence from this time period, they may actually be able to make the connections and the links to the like to our oldest, oldest ancestors that settled um and found Australia um from Africa.
1: It's a bit of a trend lately with uh, some animal research. We're finding that more and more animals are smarter than we had thought they were, than we may have expected.
0: Oh, what a surprise. Well, you
1: know about some of these, obviously. I mean, yeah, you know.
0: but you know. Well, you
1: obviously have your, your primates, your chimpanzees, your gorillas, your bonobos, those sort of things. You know, they're quite intelligent. You know very similar You're great to us. apes and 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 we yeah, can relate great.
2: To, we can relate to their intelligence as we, well
1: we can relate to their yeah. intelligence they do a lot of things like they do use tools and this sort of thing um there are also obviously dogs fairly intelligent you know they they do a lot of intelligence as dogs although wolves tend to perform better than dogs um uh, there's also uh you know things like elephants and and goats um but there's also <laughs> non animals we have birds the um the corvus, I think we talked about quite a bit here on Lost and science the, oh, um, the ravens and the crows love, and those sort of things love corvid they're quite intelligence. smart. Um, and we're going to the invertebrates. We have octopuses, of course, uh, very intelligent. Um, they have been been known to use tools as well. Mm. Um, and there was that octopus that escaped. You know, the inky the octopus that escaped from its its tank in New Zealand and into the ocean. Amazing. Yes, um, but pretty clever.
0: A fable for us all.
1: It is. It is something
2: to be learned. I don't know that it's a fable. Is there it, a more? I mean, it actually happened. Moral is, don't underestimate the octopus. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Although one, one its, its fellow octopus
1: did not escape. So, But, yeah, look, one classic intelligence test that you often see used on these various species is um, it's a task where the animal needs to pull on a string to get food. Um, so usually the food is kind of out of reach or in some container they need to pull on a, a string or a rope to get it. And most of the animals I listed before have passed that sort of test, although I couldn't find a test being done on octopuses. Um, they usually pass these fairly easily, um, uh, so they often put a twist on it, the researchers do, to make it a bit more interesting, the, the test. So like the, the elephants, um, they'll test about how well they could cooperate. So they had it set up so you had to, they'd have two elephants pulling on a rope in order to get the food. Um, and yeah, and the elephants figured that out. They would generally wait for another one to come along before trying to get it. Um, although there was one elephant who found that she could just stand on the rope and just let the other elephant do all the work, do all the pulling. So some of the elephants figured out a, an even smarter way around it, I guess. But elephants obviously have enormous brains because they're enormous animals. Mm. Um, uh, there was a recent experiment, though, done on something with very small brains, um, bumblebees. And they found that not only could the, the bees learn to pull the string, but also they could, they could pass on the knowledge to the rest of their hive in what the researchers called cultural transmission.
0: Is this a little bit like the waggle dance?
1: It is a bit like the waggle dance. Not quite like the waggle dance. But we'll get on to that with the waggle dance as well. All right. Um, so what they did um, was they they made little artificial flowers, little plastic discs that were artificial flowers, with a, a little dab of sugar water in the middle. And then they, these were flowers were hidden under plexiglass, so a see-through kind of thing, so the bees could see there was something there. And they had a string sticking out. So the idea was that the bees had to pull on the string to pull the flower to get to the sugar. Um, yeah, that was basically yeah. the, the, extent of the challenge. Now... They are just bees. Um, so they weren't that intelligent. They generally couldn't figure it out how to do this for themselves.
0: And I mean, normally when we think of bees' intelligence, we think of them as, you know, socially minded yeah. creatures who have that sort of hive mind. Yeah,
1: these are individual bees. Rather than being individual, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, only, only two out of the 110 bees in the experiment pulled the string kind of on their own without any training, without any prompting. Um, and that could just have been <laughs> a random accident. Um, because these were, as I said at the beginning, these were bumble
2: bees. <laughs> so you'd expect them to bumble. Yes, way through, yes, right? yes, yeah. Um, oh, I see what you did there. Yeah, yeah. 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 Thank you for explaining oh, that, you. Yeah, mm. yeah.
1: Uh, look, so what instead they did is they trained the bees. Like they first had the things like, you know, they'd have, say, the, the flower sticking out from the from the plexiglass so that the bees could, you know, realise that there was something to get there. Then they would have part of the flower sticking out, so they had to actually pull on the flower itself to pull it out. And then they'd have it completely under and they just had to pull on the string. So they basically trained these stages to realize that they had to use this string to get the, the flower out. And they were able to be trained. The bees were able to learn this task. So it's not exactly the, the problem solving. They didn't solve the problem with their own innate intelligence. They were trained to do this task. But still, they did a the thing of getting the, the, um, the string out. Um, but what was interesting is that then what happened is the scientists let, they let other bees watch the trained bees doing the task. And then those observing bees were able to learn how to do it themselves just by watching Wow. And once they knew how to do it, then they were able to demonstrate to other bees and so on and pass it on through the whole hive. Um, and this carried on even after the original bees had died themselves. So basically carried on through generations of bees, this, this new knowledge of how to get the, how to get the food. So this is why they're saying it's kind of an indication of their. It's sort of a hive culture, you know, that their information mm. can be passed on, learned new new ideas can be passed on to to other individuals. Now, like you said, um, we know that bees do communicate. They do their, their waggle dance, which is where they um, a foraging bee will come back to the hive and indicate through a complicated dance the direction of the food and the distance as well.
0: It's the, pretty. It's pretty amazing. You can actually Google it and watch them because they just sort of, like, get down really low and they just shake their butts.
1: Yeah, and the speed they do it is yeah. in terms of the, um, the distance. So the, yeah. the slower they do it, the further it is away. <sighs> yeah. yeah,
0: communication through dance. Yeah. Oh, amazing.
1: So we know that they can... We also know that, uh, you know, that culture and transmission isn't something that is unique to humans. I mean, there are other... There's some of the other animals that have talked about can do it, like primates. Um, there were the, the famous example of the monkeys in Japan that learnt to wash sweet potatoes, uh, like one...
0: Oh, that's pretty cute.
1: There was a story. It was called the 100th monkey effect. They were saying it would need about 100 monkeys to do it before everyone kind of rapidly took it up. But that's <laughs> not quite sure now. But it seems to pass on maybe through the younger monkeys are more likely to pick it up. But there was another My favorite example was a, a chimpanzee in Zambia. Um, for some reason, this chimpanzee just started sticking a blade of grass in her ear. Um, no one knows why she did it. But then other chimps watched her do it. And then the whole kind of chimp colony started doing this, just sticking a blade of grass in their ear for no reason. Just as a fashion statement kind of thing, it was a fad among these Zambian chimpanzees are just sticking grass in their ear.
0: I wonder if it felt good for them. Maybe. No, no one knows, really. Uh, the chimps probably do.
1: Maybe uh, the chimp one. Chimp one yeah, knows. knows. Yeah, the other ones yeah. were just going, oh, that's cool. That looks good. I'm going to do that. Yeah, but this is this is a bit different. This is like I said, this is insects. These are tiny, tiny brains, and and it's not like they're they're kind of their waggle dance that they've been doing for forever. This is like a new information that they've learned, and they just learn by watching each other. They clearly understand by watching another bee doing a thing, they can learn a thing. So that's that is really interesting. But what's interesting too is that the researchers, rather than saying that this shows really how impressive bees are, what they have said is shows that you know, we're not that impressive. That you know we think that. Having culture is something you need a big, complicated brain, but you can just do it with little, tiny bee brains, um, so that you can be dumb and pass on ideas as well. Essentially, sometimes it's just all about the uh, the buzz of a new idea.
2: Psychology is a tricky business at the best of times, despite being quite an important thing to study generally because it affects pretty much everything we do as humans. Um, One of the big problems is designing experiments because the subjects of the experiment know they're being experimented on and often we mostly have to take their word for what they're thinking. Mm. But a big part of psychology is understanding why people behave the way they do and why some people behave in different ways to other people. Uh, and this is obviously one of the great mysteries of the human condition. Um, so there's a famous experiment by a guy called Walter Michel, which took place in the late 60s and early 70s, which looked at the behavior of American kids, who were given a choice between eating the marshmallow that was right in front of them or refusing to eat that marshmallow, and they would get two marshmallows At some later point. I've heard of this one. It is 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 a famous, famous experiment. Um, So the kids who ate the first marshmallow offered were found later to have lower school performance, (laughs) greater weight gain, (laughs) less fulfilling jobs, and a raft of other negative correlations. So a lot of psychologists and and pundits made a lot out of this. They made a big deal out of it and saying that, uh, you know, They assumed that it meant that kids with higher self-control or stronger willpower were more bound to be successful in their lives as a result of their strong willpower and. Uh, it's not
1: that marshmallows make self-control. you self-control. You know, stupid and fat.
2: Well, no, because I think the marshmallow was. But
0: they only was, got one marshmallow.
2: Oh, they've it, got two marshmallows. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, I mean, the, marshmallows the other that make you smart. And thin.
0: Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. yeah.
2: So basically, the the main the main takeaway message was that willpower is important and it Mm. made people behave in different ways. Um, But more recently, uh, the idea of willpower and self-control has taken something of a beating in psychological research. And the concept of resisting temptation has not really got any evidence to back it up. So we don't actually go around resisting temptation as if it's just a thing. And that's not actually how our minds work. We don't have this self-control willpower thing that we are exercising it's not how these results have arisen so a study from 2011 published in the journal of personality and social psychology tracked 205 people in germany using smartphones to ask them questions throughout the study at various times of day things like how are you feeling are you feeling tempted by anything uh you know are you are you feeling like you're exercising your willpower at this point in time and all these other sorts of questions to find out how they were feeling throughout their day so what they found was that people who described themselves as being good at resisting temptation actually reported less temptation each day over the course of the study. So then they weren't actually resisting anything because they weren't being tempted weren't by being things tempted in the f- by first things. place. were things, yeah. So the, the, the idea that is if something yeah. you want is in front of you, then you resist it by using your willpower to resist that tempting thing, whereas in actual fact people just aren't tempted by things.
1: But it sounds like it's a very subjective thing itself. Well, it's like whether it, you feel it possibly or not.
2: is. What they did find out, the researchers took this to mean that uh, that the people who appear to have a great deal of self-control actually plan their daily routine to avoid temptations in the first place. So they're saying that they're doing this on purpose. It's not It's not completely mm. um, accidental. subjective and accidental. They're, they're, they know what things m- might tempt them, and they don't go anywhere near them, whereas other people are just like, oh, I just walked past McDonald's and I had to buy a burger sort of thing, or whatever it might be. So some of this may obviously be due to genetic predispositions, and this is another problem with psychological studies is we don't really know why some people like things and dislike other things so there might be genetic factors involved in that and you know it's it's pretty certain that people do have cravings for different foods or different tolerances to different mm-hmm. foods and that sort of thing basically it's not the only factor at play uh, in the study in the seventies, the Michelle study, the kids who resisted the first marshmallow actually explained when they were asked why did they resist it. They tried not to think of it as food was one of the strategies that they employed. So they thought, oh, it's, I won't think of it as a marshmallow. It's not. It's not candy. It's you know something I don't want to eat. So that was one way that they resisted. Or they they ignored it. They just like didn't look at it until till the time was up, and then they. Got their second marshmallow anyway. So they. Where like, do you people, think
0: you would go in that?
2: Yeah. How, how would I go? Yeah. Um, I'm not really a huge fan of marshmallows, so I'm not really sure. <laughs> so
1: they say you can have one marshmallow now or two later. You go. Yeah, can, <laughs> I, can
2: I get Mars bars instead? Yeah, or? Yeah, I'll, I'll just eat the one now because
1: I don't want the two later. Yeah. Well, and,
2: and that's, that's, you know, that's an interesting thing. It's it's a, it's a tricky one, but people have done similar studies using More other, desirable. other tempting. Um, <laughs> Morsels, thing. yeah. Dim Sims. Oh, you could do it with Dim yuck. Sims, but how long would you want to leave it before you ate the Dim Sim? That's true. <laughs> I was
1: thinking Look, something slavery. Hopefully,
2: I I like that's
0: the first thing that came to your mind. In,
2: <laughs> interestingly, one of the things that they did find also was that when children from disadvantaged socioeconomic backgrounds were given the same test, they mostly ate the first marshmallow pretty much straight away. And more recent studies have shown that when people have uncertain futures they're more likely to make short-term decisions for short-term gains but you know it's it's, a, it's tricky to work that correlation into a definite causal effect mm. um, you can't say that they're poor because they make those decisions and you can't necessarily say that they make those decisions because they're poor it's very difficult to separate one one of the things one of the things they're really saying is that that people shouldn't necessarily feel bad if they feel like they've got poor self control or they have no willpower because it's not necessarily the driving feature, even though since the nineteen seventies people have been saying, Well, if you want to lose weight, it's all up to you and your willpower and your you know, your yep. drive and your self you know, self deprivation instincts or whatever but they can't really show that that's really a thing that anyone's got
1: yeah true. and like you said like um inside of it you said like psychology experiments are very tricky because people know they're being tested so like that, and one of the things they do is use deception mm. you know they'll play tricks on people um so it would not be if you were doing a psychology experiment and they said you can have one marshmallow an or two later it'd be quite reasonable to think well there's probably not going to be two
0: later they're probably
1: lying to me so i better eat this marshmallow mm. now because all i'm going to get well,
2: yeah. If if you think you're being tricked, you'll eat the first marshmallow, exactly. pretty Yeah, sure.
0: you eat the marshmallow that's in front of, of you and get
3: out of there. So one of the – one <laughs>
1: electrocute you, which is probably what they're going to do.
2: <laughs> yeah, it always ends up with electrocution. <laughs> building, building on that earlier study, someone developed a new sort of experiment towards the end of the 1990s where they would uh, – give people either radishes or cookies. I don't know if you've ever come across this one and then got them to do a test that oh, was basically, you basically yes. couldn't finish the test, but people who got given the radishes <laughs> gave up on the test a lot earlier than people who got, got given the cookies. The
3: cookies. See, yeah. it was
1: one of those cruel psychology tests. Yeah, yeah. That's so, yeah. so
2: cookie
0: up, now, otherwise they're just going to give you radishes. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs>
2: they, they came up with this concept of ego depletion. Um, and they they said that you know that that making these decisions about you know on the on the test was was wearing out the people who were getting radishes because they were kind of not getting anything nice out of doing it anyway <laughs> unless you really like radishes I mean nothing against radishes they're quite nice but uh, not compared to chocolate chip cookies I guess but yeah what that what they basically found or what they thought they found was that after after having to make a number of bad decisions or, you know, difficult decisions that people's uh, ability to make good decisions got depleted over the course of time. Unfortunately, even though this was attempted to be replicated numerous times, uh, more recent analysis, meta-analysis of all of those results found that the groups are too small that they ever tested them on to really show any... Solid ground to yeah, to base yeah. that on. So what um, what they're saying now? Big
0: group of really angry people who realize that they ate radishes for nothing.
2: Well, and and also, but small groups of mostly college students in rich universities that can afford to do these kinds of studies. And there was well, there's a number of flaws that they found. the yeah, I mean, methodology.
1: It's small. groups. However, however, you know, get enough people. As soon as you get enough, you can get a p value of 0.05, and you say, okay. Experiment, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's yeah. Going and to and be statistically and, reliable. and
2: again, what, what the main reason with this is they get too many false positives for what they're looking for. Yeah. So that they get that they when you take away what should be a reasonable number of false yeah. positives, they're left with no significant figures. So they really can't show that what they're saying is happening is actually happening. So currently, the the thinking about making these kind of decisions is that they're just like every other kind of decisions. The willpower thing is just not really a thing it's just that that's just another choice you make Um, but one of the things they do think that people can do is um, structure their routine and actually have a routine but structure their routine away from things that they know will tempt them so if you think you'll get tempted by You know, the cakes in the cake shop window, don't go go down that side of the street, walk on the other side of the street. Or, you know, if you find it difficult to get out of bed in the morning, put your alarm clock on the other side of the room. So you have to get out of bed to turn off the alarm. And just basically they're saying that you can choose your behavior, but you've got to get into a pattern of doing it. And you're much more likely to be successful than if you just sit there and try to actively resist something because they don't think there's any evidence that anyone can really do that.
1: Or just eat the marshmallow. traveling through another dimension a dimension not only of sight and sound but of mind a journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination that's the signpost up ahead your next stop lost in silence
2: That's all we've got time for on this episode of Lost in Science. Thanks for tuning in and joining us. Lost in Science is recorded at the studios of 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. If you want to talk to us, talk back to us, uh, you can get in touch. We have a Gmail account, lostinsight at Gmail. Uh, You can also find us on Twitter and on the Facebook uh, and if that's not enough lost in science for you, you can always tune in again next week where the team will once again get lost in science.
0: Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.